This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with GB hurdler Lucy Jane Matthews. She discusses the support she had from Millfield School in her ambitions to be a student athlete, the challenges she's faced in overcoming injury, and the psychological shift from going from underdog to race favourite. As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Lucy, how are things? How are you? Are you all safe and well? I am, thank you very much. Yeah, it's um, obviously been a difficult time and it's been a little bit tricky. Uh, things have been very much up in the air, but uh, I'm doing well, thank you. And I'm starting to get a little bit of consistency and stability in my situation. So I'm very grateful for that. Perfect. So for people that maybe haven't come across you before or don't know who you are, do you just want to explain, I guess, who you are? And then in terms of what, what event you do, what sport you do and all that type of stuff. Yeah, of course. So I'm an 18-year-old athlete. I specialise in the 100-metre hurdles. Um, outside of athletics, I'm currently doing my A-levels. Uh, I'm studying in maths, biology and PE. So not the trickiest, but they're also not easy. I've not made it easy for myself at all. Uh, but I absolutely love my academics and I'm very lucky to have a good education. So making the most of that. Um, so as I say, I'm, I specialise in the 100-metre hurdles. Uh, my PB is 13.2 seconds and probably my best achievement to date, if you like, is a silver medal at the British Championships last year. Perfect. So I guess the first question on everyone's lips is how are you managing juggling, trying to be an athlete full time? And obviously, as you said, going to British Championships stuff alongside quite a rigorous academic schedule and stuff as well and am I right in thinking you go to Millfield School is that correct? Yes I do yeah so as I said I'm very lucky to have a brilliant education at Millfield and they've been incredibly supportive of my training throughout my whole time there unfortunately I'm kind of coming to the end of my time now um, at school but they continue to support me and yeah juggling being an athlete and also aspiring highly in my academics is certainly not easy um, but it's made easier because I am so passionate about it. It's not something that I have to be forced to do. I really want to push myself in my academics. And so it's kind of like anything, really. If you want it enough and are willing to put in the work, then it kind of comes quite easy to you. So, yeah, it's it's tricky. But at the same time, balancing my academics and sport is always going to be something that I deal with and I've dealt with it for a long time so it's it's not too much of a struggle. So obviously Millfield is kind of very well renowned for its sporting prowess and stuff um, and multiple people have been through there. Me from a footballing background I know Tyro Mings obviously came came through Millfield and you've got Jonathan Joseph who's obviously at Bath Rugby at the moment. So what support measures have they got in place to be able to assist you um, with obviously going after your sporting endeavours whilst obviously maintaining your academic um, standards as well? Well, there, there's so many different things. One thing that really drew me to the school initially was the bespoke nature of their timetable. So my training can be woven in between my academic lessons. Um, and it just, they take a really individualistic approach to how they support each student at the school. 
And I think that's so important, recognising that everybody is their own person, has their own requirements and their own needs, and they do an incredible job at fulfilling those. They also have such a wide and diverse student body at the school, which means that it's so easy to fit in and feel comfortable and feel happy in that environment. And that in itself can breed success. Um, What I also have loved is that there's so many other opportunities outside of the sport and outside of the classroom, which has meant there's not been any kind of specific pressure or zoning in too quickly. And again, that's helped me to enjoy my time there, enjoy my life outside of the sport. And that feeds into the sport and, and getting some more success in it. So on a weekly basis, what does your schedule normally look like um, training and academics wise? It's actually, I'll be perfectly honest, I can't remember. It's been so long. So obviously back in March last year is kind of the last time that I was there in its sort of normal situation, if you like. Um, We obviously went through the lockdown periods. And then in September last year is when I went back having had six months off and it was all very different because of complying to COVID regulations. Um, and then since January, I've actually been based in Loughborough and doing my education virtually. So I've kind of lost what it was like when it was normal, as I say. Um, but the you have five lessons a day um, and as I say, hour long. Um, and sometimes you have a double or, or a single of that lesson. But usually I would have a free period at least once a day. And then in that free period is when I maybe would do some gym sessions or a recovery session or even a practical session in itself. And then after school, I would also do some training. So it, as I say, it's split throughout the day. Um, there's lots of different groups to get involved in, lots of different aspects of the training that all kind of come together. But there's such a brilliant balance between the schoolwork and the training that it just really suited me. And then the evenings is a really brilliant opportunity to socialise and that's so important it's something that if I'm honest sometimes I lost sight of that I really value my friendships but I haven't always kind of made that extra effort to keep connected with people but at school it means that you just you can't miss it and you go to dinners together and have little meetups and then in the evening you also have a designated time to get your homework done so (laughs) you've got no excuse you can't be doing something else because you have a designated time which again that suits me because I'm definitely somebody that just wants to be told what to do and when and then I'll do it so yeah the whole program as I say is very bespoke but there is a clear structure and it it works really well. So in terms of your your principal coach or your principal who's who's in charge of your schedule who is that and where are they based? So now I'm up in Loughborough I have a new coach um and his name's Benki Blomfist. And I don't know if I pronounced his surname correctly there. I'm, I'm sorry, Benki. Um, but yeah, so he's based up in Loughborough. He's um British Athletics coach. And I've I've known of Benki for a long, long time. He's an incredible coach just across the board, but especially in hurdles. Um, so it was always something for me that I've wanted to be coached by him. And I'm very lucky that I've got that opportunity now, and I'm certainly making the most of it. And so before that, when obviously that's kind of happened over the last three months or whatnot, when you've moved up to Loughborough, before that, when you were kind of working or doing your academic work, but then training in between, who was managing your schedule in terms of your sessions that were being planned and what you were having to do in those break periods, et cetera, or what you were doing in the evening? 
Yes, well, that's another great thing about Millfield is there's kind of a team. So Alan Richardson, who's the director of athletics at Millfield, he was my coach before I came up to Loughborough. Um, so, yeah, he was very much doing the planning and overseeing that kind of thing. Um, and then I also have my house mistress in my boarding house who kind of takes a really holistic approach. So in terms of combining the training with the academics, she'd be making sure that both were chugging along just fine. Um, but also whilst I was there, I had the support of British Athletics and their input across different kind of principles of training um, because I'm fortunate to be on the Futures programme. So that kind of came in as an extra sort of pillar of support for my development. And so was there or is there other athletes that are based out of Millfield that might have been on a slightly different timetable to you, but then would have received similar support from um, Alan Richardson? Yeah, definitely. There's a really big and diverse group of talented individuals um, at school. And so although we would have all had our own kind of goals and ambitions and our own approaches to training, the overall program and, and principles would have been the same. So, yeah, we definitely are all treated equally as, as you should be and have equal opportunity there, which is brilliant. I think it's really interesting just the the level of individual individualization that would have gone on for for the school to make sure all, obviously all of you have got access to the coaching you need or the timetable you need or the sessions that you need alongside all your academic stuff I imagine that a lot of hours must have been spent trying to support you guys through that process yeah I, I don't doubt it I mean I'm lucky enough to <laughs> I'm lucky enough to not have to deal with that organization but yeah I can't imagine how much coordination it required, but it's, as you said at the start, it really is pioneering the way in this kind of thing, in sport, in education, um, and they're rather good at it. So, yeah, I'm very, very, very grateful for having the opportunity to go to Millfield. As I say, it's it's kind of coming to an end my time there, but it, it was brilliant when I was there. And so what are your plans moving forward then in terms of, for you, obviously you mentioned you're part of the Futures programme, which obviously you can explain to us exactly what that entails in a minute. But once you've graduated and hopefully got all, all your A-levels, et cetera, what are your your plans moving forward? Yeah, so I'd love to go to university and there's always kind of been one sort of clear option for me and that was Loughborough. Um, and especially now that I've kind of made the transition up here living here um it seems like a very obvious choice it's also the base of British Athletics so again that's that's where Benke's based and all of the practitioners and support stuff so Loughborough is in my eyes kind of the place to be um and I'm hoping to as you say <laughs> as long as I get the A-levels uh, I'm hoping to study maths in some capacity um that's always been my favorite subject but I'm just kind of stuck on what I couple it with because I feel like straight maths is Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. But um, yeah, coupling it with something else, either sports science or accounting or, and financial management, that kind of thing. So um, I'm just tossing out which direction I go in, but it will it will be at Loughborough. And so I'm thinking about how to word this carefully. Culturally, there's some people that will go into elite sport and kind of dismiss the academic side. Um, and say it would take away from them trying to achieve in athletics etc 
it sounds like you're very much the opposite to that, where you're really keen to carry on with the academic and progress down that route. Is there any particular reason as to why you want to carry on doing that alongside your athletics? And do you think that there's any either potential pitfalls or some massive positives to be had uh, alongside like doing the academic degree type stuff alongside your athletics career? Yeah, so me as an individual, it's really important that I kind of recognise that I have potential in more than one area. I did, I made the mistake of spending quite a lot of my earlier life um, just focusing solely on athletics. And I wasn't competing at a high level, but that was all that I cared about. And I sort of neglected my potential in other areas. So in order to kind of learn and grow from that, if you like, um, I really value and make a a real point of trying to be as diverse as a person as possible because I really think that I have the potential to kind of be a multifaceted individual and I think as you go throughout your life that is what you should strive to be you shouldn't want to pigeonhole yourself in any one direction and recognize that you can achieve in multiple avenues of endeavor so what made you come to that realization because like without being disrespectful you're 18 years old I was an idiot when I was 18 and I wouldn't have been able to come up with that. So what made you come to that realisation like so early on? That's quite a mature line of thinking. (laughs) When you say a mature line of thinking, I do fundamentally, I do have the mindset of like a (laughs) 70-year-old. So I do think beyond my years sometimes. But what I think probably I could pinpoint it on my GCSEs. So that was three years ago no two years ago (laughs) maths um I did well in my GCSEs you know I I really didn't do badly at all but I did not put as much effort in as I probably could have done if I'm honest and it was the European Juniors that year and I put so much focus and effort into that in making that team trying to do as well as I could that there were definitely areas of my GCSEs that I neglected and I wasn't happy about that. I did not feel there were certain grades that I felt so chuffed with, but there were certain ones that I thought I could have done better than that. I didn't do myself justice there. And that wasn't a nice feeling. And that tarnished any feeling of accomplishment I had in the other in the other subjects. So it wasn't long ago that I had that realization, but it definitely was one that I had and one that I wanted to act upon. And so going forward for my A levels and beyond I just want to make sure that I am reaching my potential and doing myself justice and also I want to have a good education and be an educated person because obviously that helps you in every facet of your life but also I want to go on and do brilliant things and and have opportunities and education can be the kind of key to opening a lot of doors and when you talk about are there any pitfalls or really brilliant things about it a pitfall can be that my personality is one that I want to do the absolute best in everything. <laughs> um, and that's just not realistic. Uh, and so that can mean that I don't always get the best balance uh, between the sport and the academics. And then the also the things outside of that that I want to do and pursue. I don't always get that right. But I think when you have that aware- awareness that you're not getting something quite right, that means that you can take the first step to making it better. So. My balance is definitely improved, but that is something that I constantly need to be aware of. Um, And I kind of touched on the positives of it. I think 
not putting all your eggs in one basket is incredibly important. I will probably go on to say about how many kind of injuries and setbacks I've had. That's part and parcel of being an athlete. And there are no guarantees. And so if I were to put everything into my sporting career and not have anything to fall back on, that would be quite foolish. And also, um, ha- again, as I kind of said, having your academics and having something else to pursue just allows you to get that good balance mentally, if nothing else, between trying to achieve highly in something, but then also having another avenue to kind of put that effort into. So linking back to the grades that you mentioned there, was that an internal thing where you said, actually internally I could have done a bit better there? Or was that a social thing where your friends around you who you were in class with maybe got higher grades than you did and you felt a little bit out of place? Where did where did that kind of self-awareness of actually I could have done better here come from? It was definitely internal because I know that and anybody who may listen to this who was around me in that time would probably be quite gobsmacked that I said that. Um, because my my grades, I mean, I I don't know if you're familiar with the new GCSE scoring system, the kind of number system. It's not letters anymore. They've had to spice it up with yeah. nine to one. But basically, I got the equivalent of 11 A stars and A's. But it was the A's that really upset me. And that probably sounds just wrong (laughs) and a little bit spoiled if you like um and you know I'm open to that but it was the A's in certain subjects that I was had performed better and I knew that I could do better and I also did get a B in French which (laughs) I'm so sorry to my French teacher I really let myself down there um but it was definitely an internal thing because as I said I have this kind of crippling desire to just achieve the absolute best in something and when I don't, I, I take it personally. Um, and so, yeah. Where do you say, think it, that's come from? I really, I don't know. I'm an only child. So it's not like I've had to constantly compete throughout my life for certain things. It's just kind of this innate passion for success, if you like. I don't know. I don't really know where it's come from. I'm grateful that I have it because it has meant that I've had the kind of willpower and resilience to to overcome things that I've had to deal with. Um, but yeah, there, as like a lot of things, <laughs> you want to have it only to a certain degree sometimes, and it can be um, kind of detrimental to your mindset if you don't allow yourself to kind of step back from that feeling of just, oh, I've got to achieve, you know. It can be quite draining. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. The reason I pry on this is because I think that, like, that innate drive to want to do the best you can do you look at some of the top athletes around and that's kind of what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day referencing Michael Jordan and they were saying that it was, it's not that he wants to beat you at basketball. It's that he wants to beat you at everything. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's golf, poker or whatever it is, he wanted to beat you. Whereas they were referencing Kobe Bryant and they were like, Kobe Bryant wants to beat you at basketball. Um, and I was I was just curious to what you were saying there because I didn't know if it was a cultural thing where you had a group of friends who were really kind of supportive and academically strong, so that made you have that drive, or whether it was just an internal thing where you're like, no, like I know what my ceiling is and I know what I want to achieve, and I know that if I've let myself down within that area. So it's quite interesting the fact you just said it is just an internal drive for you to want to do the best you can 
do in every facet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by very bright and academically talented people. Um, you know, that was a brilliant thing, but we weren't in any way competitive. I think that was very much just a supportive thing. It was quite nice in as much as we all had our own kind of things that we were good at. Um, it's not like we were all trying to be good at one thing. Um, and so we had a really good balance in secondary school with my friendship group. But yeah, they were very talented, but it wasn't because of their talent that I wanted to achieve. It was completely an intrinsic just need. <laughs> it's kind of like I'm addicted to it. Um, but as you said, I think that is what a lot of athletes share in common, that kind of just absolute need to to achieve and to be the best at something. I don't in any way think that I'm unusual for that. Um, but I certainly have it to a large degree. Okay, so linking this to the hurdles then, I can imagine it does present some issues because you're going to want the perfect start out of the blocks. You're going to want the perfect stride length between, you know, the blocks and the first hurdle. You're going to want to go over the hurdle, you know, the perfect trajectory or that type of stuff. How does that challenge you on a daily basis when you're going to essentially want perfection but we all know it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to come by. Yeah, it it is something that I am constantly challenged by, and it is something that I, in all honesty, don't always deal with properly uh, or to the best of my abilities. I, again, I definitely am a perfectionist, and in an event, in any event, but especially one like the hurdles where you're running at ten things to potentially hit or fall over it's it's just it's not there for the taking perfection um and i do i do get frustrated not kind of outwardly but internally i do get frustrated and i struggle when i walk away from a session to kind of switch off and kind of leave whatever's happened in the past um and so yeah it is a real struggle but i think what i've got a lot better at is kind of appreciating the good aspects of a session or the good aspects of a race and then also trying to take a more positive approach to the negative sides and see what I can learn from them rather than dwelling on them and kind of spiraling into this kind of negativity. Um, really just seeing, as I say, what I can learn from them, what I can take forwards and um, kind of a method I've been using. It's not fancy at all is I've started using a training diary and that has meant I can kind of visually see the good bits the bad bits all color-coded of course um <laughs> and uh yeah it, that has been a really useful tool because I've been able to reflect on past weeks things when things went well and then also when things went badly how did I then move forwards and kind of come out of that sort of bad patch so it's just about appreciating that your own kind of self-worth because I spent quite a while performing well but also coupling that with so much self-doubt and just thinking oh I'm never going to achieve this or that and then when I started to appreciate kind of my own self-worth and potentially ability in this event it led to a lot more confidence and a lot more kind of relaxation in approaching the event and how I kind of deal with a lack of perfection. Have you seen any patterns arise from where you've had purple patches that haven't gone particularly well and how you've got yourself out of those or how you've dealt with you know those challenging periods yeah so I've I've had an awful lot of challenges with my health and that has always 
brought about, as you would expect, a kind of down period in training and a lack of consistency. And the big pattern for me is that when I stopped kind of continually trying to push through this feeling of ill or whatever I had to deal with and actually appreciated that I just need to take a bit of time for myself and a little bit of TLC kind of wind things down a little bit and then build up when I feel fit enough to do so so kind of having a better self-awareness when I'm going through a dodgy patch has enabled me to just stop refresh and then move forwards and it's always been when I've come back in I've come back at a level higher than the one I was operating at when I was just kind of pushing through difficulties which is obviously it doesn't take a genius to work out but when you're in the moment all you want to do is keep pushing through because you've got goals and ambitions in the future and sort of time limits um, that you've got to adhere to so as I say just being more self-aware has always led to more positive kind of trajectory so it's really interesting what you say there because you may not have heard this in our first episode we sat down well I sat down with Kate Gray who's a former Paralympian um, who trained out of Bath that I've worked with previously And she basically discusses the challenges she had between Beijing uh, Olympics and then London 2012. Um, And basically what materialized, I think she had glandular fever. um, And she said culturally, the thing for her was, you know, don't don't be a wimp. Don't not get in the pool, go and train and train and train. Where actually the best thing for her would have been to take some time, rest up, recuperate her health and then to go again um and she yeah she spoke really candidly about the challenges for her in terms of fixing a mindset from going no you have to battle through you have to battle through you have to be battle hardened to then understanding her body and understanding how she needed to rec- recuperate and rest and stuff so what made you get to the point with your health difficulties whatever they were where you realise actually there might be periods where you're going to need to either not train or really reduce the amount of training for the long-term benefits? Yeah, well, as you said, it's a lot of it was psychological and I realised the impact that... So I I suffer with chest pains um, and I've, and kind of reoccurring chest infections and they happen in a cyclical motion um, and they really are very debilitating. I still suffer with it now. I've not come through the end of that. But it was definitely the psychology of it that and I realized the negative implications of my mindset that encouraged me and pushed me to to make the positive changes. And for me, it was I just I realized that it wasn't I wasn't pretending, but in kind of just trying to keep up this sort of idea that you're plodding along just fine, that you're okay. And then trying to meet the demands of something when you're not all 100%, you're not quite there, it's difficult. And it made me feel anxious and it made me feel uncertain, apprehensive. And it created a lot of self-doubt because I wasn't always able to meet the demands of what I needed to do for my training because my health wasn't allowing it. And that anxiety and that kind of, as I say, apprehension, that spills into your everyday life. And then all of a sudden you're spending not just the time at training, but also when you're at home trying to study and do other things, you've got that constant doubt ticking away in your mind of, you know, I'm actually going to be good enough for this. Can I actually achieve these things that I'm aspiring for? 
and it just it very easily snow snowballs um and I kind of caught myself and I realized that this was so unnecessary and it was so unhealthy and not productive in any way to keep going down this route of um I can't do this I'm not good enough for this it just it wasn't necessary and it wasn't true and it wasn't a correct reflection on the situation the reality was and continues to be to some degree that I'm just going through a bad period of time and that this health I'm lucky this is not something I'm going to always have to deal with I'll get out the other side of it and for now what I need to do and what I've done in the past and what I will continue to do is to go forward with positivity and to not let this consume me and to really take kind of control and take reins of my mindset because it's not always easy to do, but you are in control of your thoughts and how you choose to act on your thoughts. And so for me, as I said, coming back to that self-awareness, I realized the immature, if you like, and poor mindset that I was adopting and I was able to make the changes that I needed to in order to move forwards. So this is a bit of a self-plug, but listen to my most recent episode with John Hain. He discusses about the narratives people tell themselves, and he was talking more in a self-confidence perspective and how to challenge that. But I think that would be a really interesting one for you to to you to listen to, where he talks about finding the truth and how naturally as as humans we we look at the negative of things because it's like a self-preservation. Mm back to however many hundreds of years ago where actually you need to find the little bit of truth that you are good enough and it is a purple patch or you'll get out the other side so I definitely recommend going listen to that because I think a lot of the things you're discussing he's got a lot of experiences and processes and stuff that have gone through there I think it'd be, it'd be really good for you yeah no I definitely will I definitely will I love hearing um, and that is one thing hearing stories and or seeing stories of people that have done it before you is always going to be a helpful tool in order to help you do just that and to kind of replicate that. You all have your own journey and, and transition and you're not all going through the same things in any way, but seeing somebody who's gone through something similar or had to overcome an adversity themselves, I found a big motivational factor. And so I'm sure I definitely will give that a listen. Yeah, no, he's, he, as I said, he, I think he's essentially a psychologist in performance. Um, he works on performance, but he works with like NBA athletes, but, uh, baseball, basketball. He's recently done a set with equestrian athletes kind of internationally. So definitely worth a listen. It's really interested in the narrative, the narrative side. So moving forward to where you are now, and we can obviously go through kind of your in- injury history, et cetera, as well, which you mentioned you've got, you've got some challenges with. What does your current schedule look like? Obviously, you're based out of Loughborough. Loughborough. So from a training week for you, if we go for this week, because we're recording this on a Friday, so it's probably fresh in your mind. What have you yeah. done this week? What have the aims been for you as a multidisciplinary team? And what, you know, what have you been working towards or on? Yeah, so typically this week's actually been a little bit different. Um, so my, again, my health took a bad turn in, over the past month. So I had quite a bit of time off. And so this week was just about building back up and getting back into that environment. Um, today, I actually had a really positive session. and I started to feel a little bit more like myself. But at the start of the week, it was just about, as I say, getting into the movements, doing a warm up, not piling on too much at once, kind of appreciating how my body's responding to each session and and being sensible and 
probably performing within myself at this stage. Um, so usually I do gym sessions on a Tuesday and a Saturday, and then the other sessions are kind of woven between recovery, uh, a practical hurdle session, speed session. There's so many different elements, a lot of them new to me since I've moved up to Loughborough. And it's a really complex and diverse plan that I follow. Um, but I train Monday to Saturday and I, as I say, I hit those kind of main titles for the session. Um, but usually the aim is to just feel kind of just feel good to obviously to learn, but not to overthink. I have been an athlete before who's got kind of all stuck up in my head and got too much into overthinking things and trying to think about where I put this foot where I put that one what I do with my arms and I I can be one to overthink um so it's about keeping things simple appreciating what I need to do but keeping it simple um and just trying to keep building on the session before it's at this stage when I've had quite a lack of consistency in training with the injuries and illness uh it's just about kind of not getting carried away not getting caught up in my ambitions for the season and just building and as I say getting that consistency. Okay so we'll we'll go back to what your sessions actually entail but I think you brought up an interesting point regarding the technical aspect of your sport so there's going to be some people that will turn around and say well, all you're basically doing is running as fast as you can and jumping over stuff can't be that difficult there can't be that much <laughs> science behind it so what um what technical aspects are there so if we look at for example um out of the blocks between uh, the blocks and uh, hurdle number two so you've gone over the first one what type of technical aspects are you looking at and hopefully doing this kind of involuntary without having to think about it as you've just said mm -hmm. what type of te technical aspects are there within the sport where you're trying to gain time or be more efficient mm -hmm. it has to be said that some people will probably cringe at me advising over the over the start of the race because it has historically been a real sore spot for me <laughs> it's never gone particularly well but it's we're going to change that um so ideally not always happens but ideally coming out the block so I take eight strides most women who do the 100 hurdles take eight strides to the first hurdle um and it's just about trying to get up to speed as quickly as you can unlike a block start on the flat you're going to drive down for sort of drive into the track kind of 20 to 30 plus meters for this you've got 13 meters to get up to speed and negotiate a barrier um and so from what i tend to do is i'll come out the blocks <laughs> not particularly skillfully at this stage but i'll come out of them nonetheless and after the first three strides i'll come up and i'll be sighting the hurdle and then at that point you've done you're pushing into the track already and it's just about getting the turnover to get your foot underneath your hips to take off and over the first hurdle and then in between the hurdles is eight and a half meters where you are going to do three strides that has always been a strength of mine covering that distance because I'm quite a tall person um, and a lot of my makeup is legs um, <laughs> so I can cover the ground with quite a lot of ease and in fact actually it sometimes has been almost too easy if you like and has meant that I've hit a lot of hurdles by getting too close to them so a big target for me is to get the frequency in between and to make sure that I'm turning my legs over quick enough that I'm covering the ground but not so much that I'm crowding the hurdles my strength of the race and something that I 
rely on too much in all honesty is the back end because by that point I've I've got my legs going and uh, I'm into the rhythm I'm definitely a, a rhythmic hurdler I get into the rhythm and then I maintain it um and it's very much a cyclical motion so the the start of the race is getting up to speed as I say but once you've negotiated negotiated that first barrier you're just replicating another nine times there's not really any difference in it and then the running off of the last hurdle can always be a little bit messy um I'm I'm okay at it but I have been in races before where people are coming across your lanes and it's it's all getting quite hectic as you're trying to obviously get to the line um so that can be a little bit messy so in terms of actually you know going over the hurdle themselves what type mm. of things you're talking about obviously you've, you've touched on a little bit there in terms of having your foot underneath your hips and stuff mm-hmm. what type of actual technical detail are you looking at to try and get over as efficiently as possible what what kind of goes through your head or what what are the basic steps you would go through if you were teaching someone to do it yeah well, i think for the actual clearing of the clearance of the barriers it's more kind of it's very individualistic actually there isn't really a template you can follow obviously there's the lead leg and trail leg that you see everyone does that you tend to have a dominant leg mine's my left leg but there's also such a wide range of how people actually clear the barriers I myself have quite a bent leg bent lead leg um, and that's just because I'm taller I don't necessarily need to have that straighter leg because I'm already kind of up on the hurdles. And so it's just about kind of lifting my leg up and over it, almost stepping over it to some degree. Um, And then obviously you've got your trail leg. Big thing for me is I can be a little bit lazy and I can leave my trail leg almost hanging, just waiting to land. Um, So a big cue for me is to make sure I'm actually being proactive with my trail leg and pulling that through. Um, And the trail leg comes into a big thing actually of running off the hurdles because that leg has to go straight into your next stride, which again has not always been something that I've I've done very well. I, I do actually, the big exciting thing for me is I'm 100% a student of the sport. I love it. I love the technical side of it. I can overcomplicate, so I need to appreciate the simplicity, but I do love the technical side to it. But I've not been exposed to a lot of technical training. When Now I'm training with Benki, which has been over the last couple of months the level of technicality has increased threefold. It's incredible. I've been opened to a new world of just, as I say, technique and how you approach the event. It's like a different universe. Is there anything Um, in particular that stood out to you? Well, there's a lot in the hurdling that has stood out. I've not done a huge amount of hurdling since being with him for reasons I've already touched on. It's been, a tricky time but one thing that has really stood out is as I mentioned the kind of complexity of my program and how many aspects come together that I had previously just pretty much ignored because I was just ignorant to them and the strength with the strength program that I'm now doing I'm now in the gym which is like a proper gym program really caught me off guard I was like okay this is how you get strong um but also the this kind of strengthening the smaller muscles there's some muscles that I I literally didn't know I had um but now I'm doing kind of specific specific strengthening to them to create a really kind of robust person because I I break quite easily but now I've definitely feeling the strongest and as I say most robust I've ever felt 
So having all of those kind of strength aspects and flexibility and mobility all coming into the hurdles has been a huge difference for me. And then actually how I approach the hurdling in itself, there's been a few cues that have been said that just, I was like, I would never have thought about that and just really kind of small details, but of course they all add up. Like what? Well, I don't want to expose all my secrets. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Well, there's certain things like, as I said, about um, the taking off with getting your leg underneath your hips. I had been kind of open to that before, and I that wasn't a completely new thing. But how I actually go about doing that, some of the stuff that Banky said and the kind of, again, simplicity that he brought to it, it just, it made it click. And that just really worked for me as I said at the start I'm somebody that I just want to be told what to do and how to do it and I I tend to have a bit of success in actually creating that and um, he's really picked up on that and that's worked really well. And so within your week how often if at all would you do like a full 100 meter hurdles because I'd imagine that in terms of you know a a time thing essentially that's what you're looking at is the timing at the end of the day and how quick you can go you've had you know quite a lot of success previously doing none of this stuff not having any exposure to it really or a limited amount where you've obviously said you come seconds which is probably second last year at British Championships which is probably from what I'm looking at here a natural speed and a natural ability at the event rather than doing loads and loads of technical work like you're doing now so how often do you get to check in to see how you're progressing um, and do you see kind of a dip whilst you're learning techniques and whatnot to then get better at the other side? What does that look like? Well, first of all, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. <laughs> I, that, it is kind of true in as much as at the British Champs, I sort of, I just kind of ran at them and hoped for the best. Um, <laughs> but so how often I actually go over all the hurdles is kind of to be confirmed. I'm sort of yet to do that. Um, in previous years, it's something that I had done quite frequently. Um, I just kind of would, my training would consist of just running over them. I wouldn't kind of look at any other aspects. So the answer to that question in previous years would be very frequently. Um, but on reflection and actually moving forwards, I don't think that that was the best thing for me at all because it kind of meant that I didn't really have anywhere to go in competition. If I was doing the same thing over and over again in training, getting comfortable with that and kind of plateauing at the level I was operating at it meant that in a competition I would go I would replicate it but I wouldn't necessarily go any faster um and one brilliant thing about being in Loughborough is that's kind of a lot of great athletes are based there um and there are three other female hurdlers who are all absolutely brilliant um that I'm really hoping that I can line up against in training and bring that competitive element to training uh, where we will cover a lot more hurdles. Okay, so linking back to what you said earlier, you've got your different session types in terms of strength sessions, speed sessions, speed endurance, etc. So again, I appreciate that you've probably had a bit of a challenge time recently, but in terms of what you've done before that or, or what you've done recently, what type of things would you be doing within those sessions so if we're talking about a strength session for example what is your current gym program what do you do how many sets how many reps all that type of stuff speed programs what what does that look like if you can just talk us through what you actually do kind of from a 
session basis or what you think you're going to do on a session basis moving forward? Yeah, so in the gym, I've been able to keep that quite consistent, which has been good. Um, and I've actually really enjoyed my time in the gym. It's probably up there with one of my favourite sessions because I'm learning so much. It's all so new. Um, so I've been doing some clean. I always, I always feel a little bit silly saying these names because <laughs> I say it in such a British way and with not a lot of oomph, and it doesn't really. It's not really synonymous with kind of someone in the gym. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing uh, power cleans at the moment, which that's been really good because I've noticed such a big difference in my strength and there's all, all re- already so much more to come in that. Um, and front squats has been a big thing for me. I've also done a bit of quite a bit of upper body, which I really had neglected um, and doing jerk splits um, and kind of lat pull downs and bench press and that kind of thing. Um, I'm yet to actually perfect the pull up um <laughs> we've still got a long way to go on that unfortunately um and then also doing quite a lot in the gym quite a lot of proactive stuff um so they're called called arabesque switches which i can't even say um and that's been really good because that's developing the power whilst in a as i say kind of power position okay so um, what do you do for that because i'm I, I, the others i'm aware <laughs> of that one i'm not aware of so what do you have to do for that well, <laughs> I can't even explain the moves. It's basically you stand on one leg and then you kind of do a little switch so that you land on the other leg on top of a box. Okay. No, <laughs> I not, understand I that. I, I've seen it. but obviously Yeah. I, 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 I may have even given it the wrong name. Who knows? But um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's been a really good exercise because as I said, the benefits of it, but also it's challenged me mentally as well it's not something that just comes easily to me but um I worked at it I persevered and now I'm in a position where I'm I'm doing them quite well and uh, definitely reaping the benefits of it uh, and in terms of speeds again I've never prior to working with Banky I had never really done speed work I've I've not had a, a winter season of training ever before I still haven't because I tore my hamstring at the British champs um and so I've not ever had kind of a solid foundation to build upon. And also when I've actually gone to run, I've just kind of gone hell for leather down the track with <laughs> very little direction. Um, so I've done a lot of technical work in my speed and how I actually run and how I, again, get my feet underneath me so that I can push off powerfully with each stride. But I've also been doing some 150s, which is not particularly fancy, but again, it's not something I've ever done. And um I already, before I had a little blip recently, was noticing a big difference in my ability to kind of complete those sessions without completely dying. So um, those 150s, yeah, what do those entail? If there's anyone who's by a track that wants to try and get himself quicker, what does that entail? Well, for me, it again, it was it's always kind of in the building up stage. So whether this is like a full on speed session to to get someone quicker, but I would very simple do between two and four 150s with varying recovery I would have about I think it's three or four minutes in between or a walk back or do 150 and then walk 250 and then go again um and I would do it at varying capacities so quite often I do it sort of 90 92 percent that kind of thing um but then sometimes I'll do easy medium fast so obviously each 50 meters you just gradually increase your speed so there's so much variety and so many different things and of course different things work for different people but 
that's been very effective for me so far. And do you use like heart rate monitors or any like tracking physiological stuff in terms of what you do with sleep or anything like that? I don't actually with my sleep, but I uh, I wear an Apple Watch um, whenever I'm doing the exercise. I mean, it's not the most technologically advanced at all, but I don't necessarily need that data as an athlete, um, and it, it gives me enough. Uh, it's consistently inaccurate, so <laughs> kind of makes it accurate. Um, one thing. And I find that just psychologically, if I haven't logged it on my watch, it doesn't count. So it kind of holds me to account, which is brilliant. Um, but yeah, I don't have an awful lot of data in terms of heart rate and sleep monitoring, that kind of thing. Um, and it's the same with calories and that sort of thing. I don't count calories in any way. I just kind of do it on how I feel. And that encourages me to be in touch with my body. So just Domino's two for Tuesdays every week, then that's fine. <laughs> of course, <laughs> athlete diet. <laughs> so in terms of one session that's really challenged you since you've been in Loughborough, is there one that stood out as, you know, I, I know what mine are in a, in a football context. I can tell you in, in what ones are notorious. That if I said it to any footballer, they'd be like, they're the worst. Is there one oh, session that comes yeah. to mind straight away for you where you're like, this is revolting. Everyone hates doing them. Hmm. I don't, well, I haven't yet done this with Banky, but um, hurdle-wise, when you go over 12 or 13 hurdles, usually you go over 10 in a race. And so once you've done your 10 and then there's another three, you're kind of, it throws you off. And uh, mentally and physically, that's really challenging. For me also, with, with my chest pain, I, I struggle with my breathing an awful lot. So anything which requires kind of an aerobic approach, it doesn't work out too well for me. Um, <laughs> I I enjoy pushing myself and I weirdly enjoy being uncomfortable with my breathing. But um, one thing that um, was definitely quite challenging is when I do um, kind of like w run 150 and then walk 80 meters and then run 150. And I repeat that a scary amount of times, kind of 10 or 12 times. Um, so that is since being with Banking the hardest session I've done. And I, I don't think I got off the floor for quite a while um, after that. <laughs> and so I was, as my next question to you, or I was going to ask earlier on was, would you ever consider going to the 400? Because obviously you mentioned with your long stride length, et cetera, and being able to cover ground well. That seems like something that would fit quite well. But obviously, if you're saying aerobically at the minute, that's something that challenges you. I imagine that's not quite on the horizon at the moment. The reason I smile is because so many people are like, do the 400 hurdles because <laughs> it really isn't until the last kind of two or three hurdles that notoriously I kind of come into my own in the 100 hurdles. So they're like, for goodness sake, do the 400 hurdles. <laughs> um, so it's something that a lot of people say, and I'm totally not opposed to it. I would love to give it a go at some point definitely or, or multiple goes um whether i'll i'll do a, a sally gunnel if you like and transition from the 100 to the 400 fully who knows um who knows what the future holds but i'm I'm certainly not opposed to giving it a go um but for now i think i'll i'll stick with the 100 listen if you give me the choice of running 100 meters or 400 i definitely choose the 100 so i don't blame oh, you on that one definitely any day any day of the week um, what is this football notorious session then? Uh, well, the 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 hardest one that that no one likes, what well, is one that I've done is you'd have um, a goal at each end of the pitch. 
it's a 3v2 and once a person's shot you've then got to recover so basically you're just doing pitch runs back and forth oh, it's, it's horrendous as soon as it, we've got a group here as soon as you mention to any of them everyone they call it the matt hale session because that's who used to do it with us and it was yeah it's notoriously horrible by the end of it you just can't can't really run or move anymore <laughs> so, um, that's a nice feeling though isn't it in the moment it's horrible but once you've done it and you feel like that you can feel quite accomplished yeah maybe, maybe i've got one of my friends he he um he he'll message me when he's gone for a run he goes i got a lovely bit of blood in my lungs he said but i feel <laughs> better for it in 10 minutes <laughs> Wow. But yeah, yeah I can relate to that. Yeah, a bit of iron stuff, but it's good. But um, I guess you mentioned there about tearing your hamstring. So I think I actually watched the racing question and um, it looked like you were kind of dipping for the line and stuff and then kind of think. I'm assuming that was around the point at which it happened. Am I right in thinking? Well, it the, that whole race at the British Champs, the final, was a bit of a blur. I remember throughout the whole thing just thinking, what on earth is going on here? Because Cindy, who went on to win the race, I I don't think it's a stretch to say that everyone expected her to win, 100%. I imagine most of us on the start line also expected that. I certainly did. And so when it got to a point where I could see her in my peripheral and I was quite close to her I was like good grief what on earth's going on so as I say the whole race was a bit of a blur but I think that it went it kind of hurdle eight hurdle nine um that definitely it felt dodgy and I started hitting hurdles after that as well which could be for various reasons but it kind of ties in and I certainly did do a big dip for the line so that wouldn't have helped the cause but it was worth it it was worth it um <laughs> but yeah that was it feeling that pain because I've torn my hamstring before that occasion as well that was really weird because the adrenaline kept me going for so long literally the rest of the evening because I was oh my goodness I've just got a silver medal you know (laughs) did not expect that I've got PB and it was just a a really fun and accomplished time but then halfway through the night the adrenaline started to dissipate and I was like oh no (laughs) my hamstring's gone that's upsetting but um you know these things happen so how have you managed the recovery process for that? What does that look like once you've torn it? I mean, I don't know how bad the tear was, but what did that recovery process look like for you? Yeah, so I, I was fortunate. It wasn't a, a big one, but it, it was one where I, I couldn't run and my walking was, was very much a limp. Um, and that period of time from September to December where I was rehabbing it is when I was back at Millfield um, for that autumn term for the school shut again. And that's, I was really well supported there. That injury was the first time that I properly appreciated an injury and given it the time it needed to recover. Historically, I would have just rushed it. And I think because I did that recovery so well and built that up so well and patiently, um, I think that's why now I have a lot more confidence in my hamstring, which is a real luxury. Um, but the recovery period was a lot of strengthening, a lot of isometric work um kind of just wrote a little and often was a big thing no big kind of explosive movements or anything like that um when I built up the strength and allowed the time for it to kind of re-knit together um it was just about gradually reintroducing running and I did a lot of kind of running substitutes if you like or sort of um simplistic versions of running very low impacts and I did that for a long time it was getting quite monotonous I definitely 
was probably a little bit annoying <laughs> because I was getting frustrated because I wanted to push things on and I felt good and I was like why aren't we pushing on but it actually was important that I felt good and we maintain that feeling of feeling good rather than pushing on and then you're not feeling so good so I'm really grateful to the people that were around me at that time which was Alan Richardson and the other coaches that were there who managed to keep me on track and uh, enabled me to recover well from it. How long did it take weeks wise or months wise what are we looking at in terms of you from doing it to then being in a position where you had kind of full confidence in it to be able to use it properly? Yeah so it was the 4th of September that I did it and then but it wasn't kind of diagnosed if you like until the 21st which is when I had a scan on it um and that period of time was just kind of limping and eating that was just <laughs> that was pretty much all I did at that time um and then from the 21st it was up until probably kind of mid to the end of January that I really started to do the the normal training for me if you like um so about four months it took to, to do it properly I've done it before where I tore it and I spent my whole time limping around on it um and I again I didn't appreciate it and as soon as it wasn't painful I just started doing stuff again I didn't have the kind of support and advice that I did this time around and that showed in how I conducted myself through that injury and so how challenging is it for you psychologically there because I can imagine that you look at for doms for example like the classic thing is no pain no gain so people will say you know I'm going to go and get doms at the gym because it'll make my muscles stronger and then that's going to help me but that's kind of counterintuitive with a hamstring tear you probably want to nurse it to a certain degree and obviously there are going to be times where you're going to want to strain it but then you don't want to overstrain it and redo the injury so how how challenging is that for you as an athlete and then how do you manage that kind of expectation of I want to push it because I want to see improvements, but I also want to be sensible and allow that recovery time. Cause like you said, you probably weren't great with it in the past. Mm. Psychologically, it affects me massively. And I, I've had a lot of experience with injuries now and you would think that I would get better at it. And in time, I definitely will, but I haven't yet kind of built up that maturity, if you like, in terms of being able to really excel in how I deal with it mentally. It's, it's, with me, I always struggle, and um, um, a kind of a main reason for that is my sort of perception of pain is not always brilliant, and I, I see pain as a really good thing, and I don't always acknowledge it truly. I kind of would maybe compensate for a pain through a limp or that kind of thing, but then not really acknowledge this is a pain that I need to address here. Um, and so I, to actually take the time and to be honest and to say, I'm in pain here is not something that comes naturally to me. And then to adjust according to that pain again is something I'm always reluctant to do. And so psychologically, it goes against all the things that I want to do and I do naturally. Um, and so I, I really, really do struggle. But the thing that helped me this time around and will help me going forwards and which has helped me with my chest pains that I've struggled with is a lot my mental approach that I talked about and the positivity that I'm trying to inject into the situation but also the people I've got around me um being part of the futures program has made such a big difference because I felt stability and I felt like there are people around me that I can turn to and that are there to support me uh, and that has just 
meant an awful lot because it's meant you're not feeling on your own. You never truly are on your own. But when you can't tangibly see these people, you can kind of start to allude to the fact that you might be. Um, so having really helpful, strong people around me made such a big difference. And also having the knowledge and kind of vicarious experiences, again, really, really helped. So a lot of those things are external factors. And I think that's probably why I'm still not the best at dealing with it, because internally I've not yet made the changes around how I perceive pain and not feeling reluctant or sort of apprehensive about being open about pains that I may have. But that's something I'm going to work on. I'm continually trying to get better. And that's one thing to get better at. Yeah, I think that, as you said, it is something that is, as you as you get older as an athlete, you're, you're going to get better at identifying and maybe what's good pain and what's going to be benefits and maybe areas that actually this is this is a concern in one so this is something that needs to be addressed etc um so i guess the next question is moving forward for you in terms of your your career quite young into it at the moment where do you see this going what ambitions do you have what's the immediate future for you um yeah what what does that look like yeah, so the rest of this year, um, the big aims are the European and World Under-20 Championships. Um, I think that I have potential to do well there, and I certainly am looking to do so. I, um, I've i been to a couple of the age group championships, one when I was 15 and one when I was 16, both of them European age groups, and um, they made such a big difference to me and my confidence and they were a really good stepping stone moving forwards. And so the opportunities of the European and World Juniors this year, having both of them in one year is not something that I think has happened many times before. And it just means that I'm going to have two, hopefully two brilliant opportunities to just compete against the best in the world or my continent of my age and really test myself and push myself and I hope that exposing myself to a really high level of competition is going to bring out a better performance in me. Uh, in terms of kind of the times I want to run, uh, my PB is currently 13.2 and um, I took a couple of tenths off that last year. So I'm looking to hopefully do the same and break 13 seconds this year. It's not going to be easy and I certainly can't be complacent. There's no givens in any way, shape or form, but I definitely believe I can do it. And so I'm going to take that belief throughout the season. If you look kind of more holistically, my I've touched on my aim is the ultimate aim in the sport is to win Olympic goals 100%. And I don't, I completely believe I can do it. It's very few people do, but I see no reason why I can't be one of those if I continue to work hard and take all the positive things forwards and keep learning and keep developing. That The sky really is the limit. Um, but I'm in no rush to achieve anything particular. I have that big aim. I have my seasonal aims. But in general, my ultimate aim is to just be happy and be healthy, which is easier said than done, and to just enjoy my journey, whatever that may be. We all, as an athlete, it's quite easy to get caught up in what other people are doing and want to replicate what they're doing. But that's not what you're doing. You, what you're doing is for a reason and um, there's no point in comparing yourself to others you've just got to focus on your journey and, and be happy with it because you're never truly stuck with a direction if you're not 
feeling accomplished if you're not feeling like you're getting enough out of an avenue you're pursuing you can always make a change it's never too late and one kind of big thing that I'm working on and one thing I'm trying to sort of live by if you like is to just be so kind of captivated by my own purpose and drive that I'm not going to get distracted by other people and other things that they may achieve and again that is not always easy to do but it's well worth trying to do yeah I I think it's a really interesting uh, viewpoint and I've heard um, a lot of podcasters say this it's like you know it's easy to be jealous of other people when they've got more listeners than you or they've got more subscribers than you or whatever that is they're like actually if you just focus on what you're doing and make what you're doing as good as possible sky's the limit really um so i think what you're saying there is it's really good things you can only control what you can control there's no point in worrying what everyone else is doing and what their training looks like and just focus on what you can do and if you work hard enough then hopefully what your outcome what you hope your outcomes will be will, will be just linking back to what you said regarding the kind of european um junior championship etc where do you currently sit like pb wise within within the groups etc where where does that currently place you well last year it's it, that's not always the most accurate because i don't think everybody had the opportunity to compete last year but last year i was i, I believe first or second european wise under 20 and i think i was third or fourth in the world under 20s and uh, the people above me, most of them are not going to be in the age group anymore. So I sit quite well. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that I can take anything for a given. Of course not. I have to perform to that level and beyond, without a doubt. Um, and I'm sure as people have more opportunities globally to train and get back to normality, that level at which other people are performing is going to increase. So those rankings probably mean very little, but it's kind of all I've got to sort of gauge at this moment in time. But again, it's one thing looking at the rankings, but when you line up on the start line, anything can happen and anyone can sneak a victory or or win it by miles. So it's just about believing that I have the capability to do well there. And uh, (laughs) I always say that, but when I say do well, it means that I want to (laughs) win. But I I never want to go out and say that, but I will now. Um, I want to do that. Of course I do. Anybody would want to. Um, But it's going to take a lot of hard work, but I'm going to put the hard work in. And when you're looking, um, so British Championships, for example, I imagine you're one of the younger ones in the field. How does your mentality change from going from your juniors where you're going to be against competing against people that are similar age to you and you might be one of the the favourites if you look at your PB because you might have one of the quickest ones to the seniors where maybe the expectations aren't quite as high um, as you said, I can't remember the, the lady's name that you mentioned before, but she was expected to win. So the pressure pretty much on her to deliver in that. Is there a man, uh, active mentality shift for you or does it maintain the same throughout whatever com- competition you're in? thing is with me is I've always spent my time competing up an age group. So at these age group things, I actually was always the youngest. I think almost one of the youngest in the whole competition, but definitely in the event. So I'm very used to kind of being the youngster, not having the eyes on me. And that is a real luxury I'm beginning to find. Because when you look kind of more domestically, perhaps, um, where I am competing within my age group, definitely, 
there there's again there's no givens but there's probably is a little bit more expectation on me that I'm going to go and potentially do well in the race um and that is a definite shift between that to the British senior champs where there definitely wasn't any expectation I think there was kind of the idea that I would probably get a medal which I didn't necessarily share that view but I think that was definitely that expectation there but that wasn't one that was coupled with pressure that was just a I think you can do this um so there definitely is a change and I know which one I prefer I prefer not having the expectation on me but again that's not necessarily a sustainable attitude and if you want to get anywhere in this sport which I do you certainly don't want to be the one who's never expected to win because that's not always a good sign so it's something I need to work on but there's definitely for me at least there is a change in mindset and it's one where all of a sudden you start to feel pressure the expectation starts allowing kind of thoughts of oh what if I don't win what if I don't live up to what people think I can do um and I definitely used to to think that domestically but I realized that what does it matter what other people think of my performance obviously I value the opinion of significant people especially my coach but at the end of the day other people's kind of feelings on you and your performance you don't need to let them get to you and they don't need to define you in any way whatsoever you just need to reflect on your performance, be it good or bad, and then move on to the next one. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. and It may be one of those things you can reach out to more senior athletes who have gone through this transition because I'd imagine the, you know, the pressure you do feel going from being an underdog to then slight shift in expectation will, will take some getting used to so I think obviously in your training partners and and training environment at the moment that's probably questions you can go and ask and go okay well when you've done this what what did you do well what did you not do so well um so I guess final question for me and it's something that I ask everyone who's on the podcast which is who's the um best coach or athlete you've worked with or against and why oh gosh um well, the best coach, of course, I would say is Benke because he he's always someone I've wanted to work with and he's coached some absolute kind of icons, if you like, in the hurdles. And he's just, he's a brilliant man and he's a brilliant coach. Um, and I really am grateful that I'm able to work so closely with him and so regularly and for his help. So that's a very easy one in terms of coach. And then athletes, so it's some I have to narrow it down to someone I've raced. Is that either that training condition? group or someone you've raced? It's up to you. Whatever Ooh. one's going to get you le- le- uh, the least amount of stick, I'd suggest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should just ra- say I've raced Kenny Harrison and then be done with it, um, <laughs> which I haven't. Um, oh, the best one that I've raced. Okay, well, in all honesty, it probably has to be Cindy, who I raced at the British Champs, who won the British Champs. She is somebody that I've along with Tiffany Porter, her sister, I've watched them at the Olympics. I've watched them achieve incredible things and they were always a big inspiration to me. And then to be lining up alongside her, that in itself was brilliant and amazing. And also seeing her warm up, there was so much to be learned there. Obviously, I didn't want to go up at her the whole time whilst I was trying to warm up, but I definitely cast my eye in that direction and that was a really useful thing to do. But racing her, she brought out the best that I could do at that time in my development. And I'll always be grateful and feel thankful when somebody can do that, when someone can help you be your best. 
So there's so many brilliant women in this event. And I think British hurdling is starting to become in a really strong place now. Um, but I guess if you force me to choose one, um, it will be Cindy as, as of right now. Perfect. Listen, Lucy, I really appreciate your time. Loads of really interesting con- uh, content there. And I'm sure everyone who's listening will be paying uh, close attention to you and your career and see how you get on moving forward. So um, hopefully we can do this again at some point. I hope that the training and whatnot keeps going really well and I'll catch up with you soon. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.